You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class with me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. So this is an episode that has been requested so many times. And so, what am I if not considerate? And here we are. But, before we get into anything, I want you to stop listening. No, well, continue listening, obviously. But I want you to go and vote for me in the Irish Podcast Awards. So we have one day. If you're listening to this on day of release, we have one day to get the vote in. One day to go and vote for who did what now. All you need is a valid email address. Don't even need to be from Ireland. You just have to be able to vote. Get you vote, get your mum's email address. It's fine. Everything's cool. It's just it's just fun. And also I really wanna just prove people wrong <laughs> and do like a really ridiculous historical quote. Cause I'd love to even come second would be fun. So I'm trying to get everybody. If they haven't voted, they just go do it. The link is gonna be in the description down below. Okay. Go do it. Go do it now. And then come back. I'll wait. Good. You're back. I missed you. And because I'm having issues with um, talking, my jaw still hasn't properly healed yet. So I have a friend to help me today. Because I am seriously struggling with talking, like I can hear myself lisping just because my mouth won't do what I want it to do and I'm in so much pain so much pain but I will not stop I'll not stop doing this because one I absolutely love it and two you know sometimes you just need a helping hand from your friend who is I don't know part squid I guess recording in progress got it okay I discovered that your brain is actually wired not to be okay with hearing yourself on purpose because it's your brain's way of saying that you potentially have brain damage. I learned that. That's a fact. That's why so many people struggle to cope whenever they hear their voices back and they're like, "Mm, no, I'm not okay. I learned that. That's a fact. That's a fact. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I'm going to just introduce more things in my life. Like that's uh, yeah, no, that was me. I did that. And that's a fact. And they'll be like, well, you're clearly a man child so <laughs> okay so let's get into this 
Every every time, theme music, don't know why. It's not even the right theme music, but here we are. I'm doing a shuffle in my seat, so I was dancing to it, whatever it may have been. Whatever I invented, we're just going with the flow. <laughs> we'll dub it in later. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. We'll make it seem like it was meant to be like this. It's so catchy. I love it. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of all the classics. <laughs> of all the classics, I hum in the shower. <laughs> Before I cry. <laughs> I mean, before, after, and during. (laughs) And then I whistle into the beer bottle because that's empty by that point. (laughs) I don't drink beer. I mean, you could take a wine bottle into the shower, but by the time you get to the bottom of that, you may not be able to find your way out of the bathroom. Well, yeah, see, the problem is, right, that that would have to be a red wine, which I don't Mm. drink. Straight from the bottle. Give me a straw. A twirly one so I can have some whimsy. People are saying, just let the red wine earn. I'm like, listen, if the steam can help, <laughs> I'm bringing it in. <laughs> I'm sure it'd be fine. Da, 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 da. That'll be the theme, June. It's just the sound of wine being splashed around. Ready <laughs> <laughs> two bottles of beer on the floor. Um, yeah, so I... <laughs> Only one bottle of wine in my shower. <laughs> Only one bottle, bottle of, of wine. wine. <laughs> I take it down and can't get up. <laughs> Only one bottle of wine in the shower. Who <laughs> <laughs> did what now? <laughs> Brought you. What now? <laughs> my kitty. <laughs> you absolute prick. <laughs> you need a heavy bass at the end. <laughs> <laughs> It's just the sound of water hitting me. It's like I'm stuck on the floor, crying into my wine. If anybody questions the echo on the microphone, you could be like, it's because I record all of these in the shower. Didn't you know? It's, <laughs> that is someone's very specific fetish. Like, <laughs> mm, shower podcasts. <laughs> well, that and bringing in the electric stuff into the shower probably isn't the best of ideas. I feel like maybe not. <laughs> Because I have to unplug my toaster for a start. (laughs) Shower toast. It goes so well with shower wine. It pairs beautifully. (laughs) The most part is it's just soggy. But you use the source stuff as butter and it goes so well. I don't know whose idea it was to make that mint eucalyptus like source shower gel. The stuff that makes me regret very quickly having any orifices whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. That's I know the, that one. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Why why am I burning? Like, why is this? Like <laughs> okay. Is this what an STI feels like? <laughs> <laughs> I got an STI once. Uh, <laughs> not mine. And uh, <laughs> I had a joke about an STI, but it kept coming back. <laughs> <laughs> but I basically, and <laughs> so basically, I, uh, I, I was, I was, I think, yeah, it was like that's not my fault. The only qualification you ever got was um, a GCA, was two GCSEs and an STI, and. Uh, and somebody was like, that's like so detrimental to people who have STIs. And I was like, what? 
It's like I had Walk somebody through complain. this process. <laughs> I had somebody complain once because people were calling me like fat and obese and stuff. And I'm like, it's not my fault. You don't know what a real woman looks like. You know, I mean, this mm-hmm. is an adult human body, you know. And I got complaints. I don't know. It's like I got one complaint <laughs> from this woman who was like, do you not think you're being like really disrespectful to like skinny women? And I was like, hang on, let me check. And so I messaged my friend who has like lupus and just cannot gain weight chronically ill. And I was like, hey, are you offended by this comment? And she was like, fuck off, no. <laughs> I'm like, cool. That's my litmus test. Great. <laughs> it's important to have friends from all walks of life. <laughs> For some strange reason, I keep charting in Vietnam. <laughs> Shout out to everyone in Vietnam. We love you. Yeah. And to whoever is listening to me in South Korea, there's at least two people because I had number 19 in the chart. So I was like, thanks, South Korea. <laughs> World tour coming soon. <laughs> yeah. People are like, when are you coming to Australia? I don't know. When Australia asks me, I think is the way of it. Oh. <laughs> but that's, let's get as into this. Shower toast is done. Shower <laughs> toast is done. When there's no more time for shower toast and it's time for shower tim-tims. Tim-tams? <laughs> Tim-tams. <laughs> Is this sponsored by Source or Toast? <laughs> sponsored by Toast. <laughs> mm, toast. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing you all your toasty needs. <laughs> mm, heated bread. Oh yeah, she's clear. She's clearly on the payroll of the bread conglomerate. It's the gluten. They've got her. <laughs> Don't be a heel. Buy some toast. <laughs> I am a toaster. I want to make toast. <laughs> Are you in too much of a rush in the mornings to get ready for work? <laughs> and you need toast, but you need to have a shower first. <laughs> Worry no longer, my friends. <laughs> Shower toast. <laughs> the bread you can drink. <laughs> yeah, I think we've hit our silly R. Hi, welcome, hello. F- <laughs> welcome, friend. <laughs> so welcome, one and all, friends, Romans. And countrymen. I, I know that. <laughs> this is what happens when we've been talking for an hour, because we haven't had proper conversation in so long. That I think we just went, ooh, let's get the silliness out. Welcome, one and all. I am joined today by my delicious friend, Paul. You may know him as the host of Kraken's Cabin, a wonderful new podcast, which I believe I have recommended. Um, and if I haven't, uh, go listen to it. It's great, but not free. Listen to this. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, and hello, and welcome. <laughs> So Paul is known as Kraken or Great Kraken, I believe. Yeah, Great Kraken on pretty much everything. I tend to just throw it out there and be like, yeah, I'll use this. This is fine. I, I do like the fact, though, that Kraken was like not enough for you. You can't be like this monstrous sea creature. You have to be great Kraken. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. I'm, yeah, there's the Kraken and then there's me. It's just like the Kraken, but elevated. I did elevated. my research because great is actually used as a prefix for squid. <laughs> so it's like squid and then colossal squid and then great squid. And then it's potentially cracking. Mm-hmm. So I just went with the next one. So you're just like, and beggar. Yes. <laughs> I tried greatest cracking, but that felt egotistical. So <laughs> <that one. laughs> 
Puns. Puns. Anyone in Ireland will know. It's great crack. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> and How so many it begins. Puns. I'm going to hear I'm that a lot. Slowly <laughs> unraveling my brain. But yeah, so today's episode is a little bit different because I am telling my great friend Paul here about the life of the nun. No, not the nun and only. The one and only Edgar Allan Poe. He definitely was not a nun. Definitely I did my not a research nun. a little bit. I don't remember the nunnery. <laughs> Get thee to a nunnery. <laughs> I mean, I guess. It's, is it creepy there? Are there ravens? Is Berenice there? There would be a lot of black. But anyway, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, quit your jabber jabber. In fact, you. In fact, you, I will. But first, we've got to get our source on. Our sources are... Poe, A Life Cut Short by Peter Aykroyd. The Lovecraftian Poe. Essays on Influence, Reception, Interpretation and Transformation by S.T. Joshi. The House of Poe by Richard Wilbur. Poe by James M. Hutchison. Poe, a biography by William Bittner. The Reasons for Darkness of the Night, Edgar Allan Poe and the Forging of American Science by John Tresh. Edgar Allan Poe, a critical biography by Una Pope Hennessy. A Historical Guide to Edgar Allan Poe by Gerald Kennedy. The Poe Museum, Edgar Allan Poe A to Z, The Essential Reference to His Life and Work by Don B. Sova, The Edgar Allan Poe Society, and of course our favourites, Biography.com and History.com. I use it uncomfortably. Good. Then let's begin. So this story begins, um, as one would expect, at the beginning. <gasps> I know you're shocked. So Edgar Poe, Edgar Poe, was born on the 19th of January, 1809. So very start of the 19th century. And he was the second child of two traveling actors. So David Poe Jr. and Elizabeth Arnold Hopkins Poe. So they had an older kid, Henry, and then there was Edgar, and then there was a daughter, Rosalie. So that was their little family. But when Edgar was just about one, He's just about one years old. Mm-hmm. His dad up and leaves. Just absconds. Oh. So she must for have been... For any personal been... reason? or Because a lot of people don't... at that time would have kind of up sticks for a new marriage or new career. Because he already had... Because I'm thinking here, I'm trying to figure out the, the timing. Because she would have had to be either pregnant with child number three or not long after having child number three before he buggered off. There's... A possibility, possibility that Rosalie, the younger sister, is a half sister, but there's kind of like mm, wibbly wobbly possibly with that one. I mean, he's an actor; he can't be trusted. But um, uh, but yeah. And I was like, "That's fine." Where did he go? <laughs> a year later, like the mum dies of tuberculosis. He's two-ish, three. No mum, no dad. He also died in eighteen eleven. Oh wow. Well. <laughs> He shuffled off the great stage of life. Oh, 
Yeah, he was an ill-tempered alcoholic. There we go. That that's why. <laughs> oh, okay. Huh. Sowing the seeds. <laughs> mm. But yeah, three days after the mom dies, the dad dies. Ah. Like completely away, different part of the, you know, country, but he's gone. So this is in Boston, Massachusetts, where Poe was born and lives for like a couple of years before being taken in by John Allen, who was a um, merchant uh, who traded it. Oh, fuck. I, I'm going to have to say it. I'm going to have to say it. So he traded in tobacco, which is fine, you know, cloth, wheat, tombstones, and people. That's an interesting one. Oh, 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 okay. And people. And people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he sold slaves, as far as I can tell. So that's horrific. Mm-hmm. They f- end up fostering Edgar, and he ends up taking on the Alan name in the middle of his sort of name. And the reason that goes into the middle of his name is because they never formally adopted him, and they never really properly took him on board. Like, they had him baptised and... You know, because they're trying to like force religion on him, as one does uh, when one is in a cult. And they ended up, whoops. <laughs> and so they end up doing this. Not our thing. Irish Catholic upbringing kicking in there. Well, well, I'm sorry, but if you're yeah. in a, any building where the church elders are chanting while proclaiming to drink the blood and consume the body of a dead god, I feel like. You really shouldn't be bumping your gums with stuff. I'm just yeah. You, you kind of fall into that whole death cult behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, effectively, it's a weird upbringing. So it's split between positive and negative. So they're they're like spoiling him, and then they're being like really harshly disciplining him. They're kind of jumping between the two. Okay. Enjoying that wine? Oh, it's delicious. It's Australian <laughs> red, by the way. It's very very nice. <laughs> but is it as good as shower wine? No, because shower wine takes a lot longer to drink. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're getting it from the bottle. (laughs) Because it keeps refilling every time you turn your back on it. (laughs) Sometimes sometimes it's shower water. Sometimes it is simply my tears. Shower wine. So anyway, the Poes, the Poes, the Allens, so they end up in the UK for a bit. And Poe ends up going to a grammar school in a town I used to live in in Scotland. Oh. Okay. And Irvin, yeah. So that's an Ayrshire. Um, because John Allen was from there originally. So yeah, Edgar Allan Poe went to a wee school in the town that I've lived in. And that town is currently not very pleasant, to be honest, but <laughs> that's what happens when there isn't enough investment in, you know, areas. I'm just So now I'm, I'm just... wondering, whenever I'm reading anything by Poe. Should I read it in a slightly Scottish accent in my head, or should I add a Boston accent? <laughs> I actually don't know what his accent was like. I feel like somebody knows. I, f- I feel like it's probably one of those mishmash things, mm. because the Ayrshire accent is very different to, um, say, like a Glasgow accent. Like there, there's actually a, a variation in it, whereas I actually sound more like I'm either from Edinburgh or from the Highlands. Even though I am from neither of those places. <laughs> you sound like you're from here. Someone thought I was Geordie the other day. And I was like, no, no. But yeah, I don't know what kind of accent he had. Uh, I feel like, yeah, but he ended up 
going to England too. So he was in London and he went to boarding school in Chelsea. By the time he's 11, he is back with the Allens and they end up in Richmond, Virginia. So it's fair to say, at least for keeping up appearances and stuff, they definitely paid a lot for his education, even if they weren't going to formally adopt him. Because of the tensions between the Allens, or at least John Allen, I couldn't really find anything about Frances, the, the foster mother. So yeah, from age two, he's living with them. And they have this weird upbringing, but they're putting him through all this formal education. They're putting him through all this stuff just to... I'm not so much sure it's kind of the fact that it's for keeping up appearances as opposed to it being like the done thing. Like okay. if you have a child, you have to educate them. You have to do it. Like it's more like the rules as opposed mm. to doing it for presentation. But they were definitely of the the one percenters. Yeah, he's really enjoying that sort of elite upper class lifestyle. But yeah, when he's uh, a little bit older, in 1824, he is joined the Junior Honour Colour Guard that escorts the Revolutionary War General, Marie de Lafayette. Lafayette. (gasps) What? (laughs) (laughs) Made a good run with bloodstains, Lafayette. Like when I'm when my mouth isn't as sore, I can really do that. I can do the full rap. I can. I've practiced. I actually wanted to learn it in French just to be that extra level of pretentious. That would be a hit of Christmas parties for sure. <laughs> I bet I would be the worst. Yeah. So basically, he's a Lafayette. Like he is sort of the junior honor color guard. So you're escorting Lafayette like round Richmond, Virginia. It's nothing else. That's that's just a pretty cool little feather in your cap, like. So. Poe ends up standing guard on the front steps of, of the Richmond's old stone house um, because Lafayette's visiting somebody in there. And which this stone house actually becomes the Poe Museum later on. Oh. The one he stood in front of. I would so, hope they have a little statue of him there, just constantly keeping guard. That would be so cute. Wouldn't it? 1825, um, sort of the Allen's uncle and mm, just sort of a financial supporter. He, he passes away and he ends up who who is actually like one of the like richest dudes in Richmond leaving the Allens with um what I can only describe as a fuck ton of money <laughs> um I like to call it fuck you money like they have so much money <laughs> and they end up with like real estate and in today's money about 19 million dollars so yeah there's there's a lot there's a lot going on there so Really mm. fucking rich. Um, although when you think about it, Edgar Allan Poe is not formally adopted, so there would need to be a will in place in order for him to inherit off the Allens. You know, so that's kind of its own little thing. You would have to wonder whether or not that was thrown in his face from time to time, even as a kid, or at least people reminding him that until mm. that happens, so like you're formally accepted. All that money's nice, but that can be just snatched away. That's a it's a lot of uncertainty for a kid. Especially at that age. Yeah, it's a lot. When he's 17, uh, he gets engaged to one Sarah Elmira Royster, which sounds exactly like a name of somebody from this area. Mm-hmm. So they're engaged and she promises to, you know, wait for him while he goes to college. That she, you know, that they're going to get married after he does his thing. And so he goes to the University of Virginia to study, well, ancient and modern languages. I mean, that's not actually, that actually seems fair. I was going to be like, ancient languages? 
but no, actually, it seems pretty fair to like do ancient and modern languages. Which modern languages? Uh, I'm not entirely sure of, but yeah, like the whole point as you invest anyway is it was built on the sort of ideals of one Thomas Jefferson. So there was meant to be no smoking, no booze, no guns, no horses, um, for whatever reason that horses weren't allowed there, but it's the 1800s, one would expect horses. Oh, and gambling. Now this one's more important because um, Edgar Allan Poe had a habit for uh, gambling. And so when he arrived at the university, unfortunately, he only had $110 on him. And the university's fees were thrice that. So he ah, thought, okay. he thought, all right, I need to make myself some money here. So what does he do? Gambles. And instead of making money, he ends up two and a half grand in debt. He should have folded it. Fuck you. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you'd have to hand it to him. That's quite a lot, but uh, that might be too subtle. <laughs> he wasn't flush with success. I, I can keep going. <laughs> I know, I saw, I saw, I saw. This is So anyway, um, the university has its own sort of self-governing systems. People kind of take matters into their own hands. Like they arrange their own boarding. They sort of report, you know, people for doing the shit they shouldn't. And eventually, Edgar Allan Poe, he, he, he's not doing so well. Because like he loses touch with Elmira and his foster father. Because he doesn't really have enough finances... Because Alan is not providing him the money he needs to go. Clearly, otherwise he would have gone. Mm. And he basically has to has to leave. Once he comes back to Richmond after being there for a year, um, he comes back to discover that Elmira is married. Shame, shame. So basically, what happened is Elmira's dad sort of was reading her letters. He was intercepting them, and saw that Paul basically wasn't doing well he was gambling away all his money and he was basically broke his shit and wasn't completely university and went ah no that's not good so if he he had access to the fuck you money as we put it it probably would have been okay but i'm sure that that didn't put him in good stead either because if he had the equivalent to fuck you money it would have been a case of you know what he's lost a little bit i'm sure he'll get it back or at least this is just what rich men do when they have no time or patience for mm. anything. So mm. basically, Elmira ends up, the dad ends up telling her to marry someone else and he kind of pushes her in that direction. And this is an era where you can't really say no to that. You're just going to have to do it. So she gets married, he comes back and he's just um, back in Richmond, kind of depressed because like fiance, um, ex-fiance is now married to someone else. His dad foster dad the man who raised him not really speaking to him because you know he gambled away all this money and had he had to pay off his debts he just it's just not doing well so edgar's like i gotta get the hell out of dodge and what does he do i can't call him edgar like he's in my pal i'm like my pal edgar he ends up traveling to boston um he doesn't stay that long really um but while he's there he publishes his first book of poetry Tamerlane and other poems. And this is under a pseudonym, The Bostonian. Oh, enigmatic. <laughs> Ooh, The Bostonian. I wonder if he's from Boston. Who knows, Mildred? Who knows? So when he's 18, he does what all 
men struggling um, with their finances do, joins the army. Yep. Yep. Legitimate course. So he does really well in the army, actually. Like, he's doing surprisingly well. Rises to the rank of sergeant major in, like, two years. And then he goes to West Point, where he does well, you know, academically, but again, doesn't have access to the fuck you money. So he has financial issues. See, here's the thing. Poe ends up court-martialed for extreme dereliction of duty. (laughs) Being a part of a royal family might seem enticing, but more often than not, it comes at the expense of everything else, like your freedom, your privacy, and sometimes even your head. Wondery's new podcast, Even the Royals, pulls back the curtain on royal families, past and present, from all over the world, to show you the darker side of what it means to be royalty. From icons like Grace Kelly, Oscar-winning actress turned Princess of Monaco, who the world saw as the ultimate good girl. She mastered playing a happy wife and mother, but beneath it all, she was desperately lonely. Grace spent her whole life working towards perfection, and it ultimately cost her her happiness. Or King Ludwig II from Bavaria. He was only 18 when his father died, leaving the crown to him and a duty to rule that he never wanted. He refused to lead and used the funds from the royal treasury to further his extreme love of opera. But this choice eventually cost him the crown and his life. Follow Even the Royals on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge Even the Royals ad-free right now on Wondery+. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. He absolutely self sabotages at that point. I feel like it's it's a very strange um, sort of situation. Would it have been from just the alcohol and gambling? Here's the thing about the alcohol, right? So they talk about how Edgar Allan Poe was a big drinker. And it's not that he's a big drinker, because he could only really handle, like, he would have what is known as his customary glass of wine. He would have one glass of wine and that would be him. He couldn't really handle alcohol. So he never actually drank that much. He would literally Mm. drink, like, one glass. The reason he ends up being court-martialed is because he makes it happen. So he intentionally gets court-martialed. And he gets tried for gross neglect of duty, disobedience of orders, refusing to attend formations, classes, and church. He ends up pleading not guilty in order to force them to dismiss him because he'd be found guilty. Sort of between starting West Point and getting court-martialed, Francis, Francis Allen, she passes away. So his foster mum, she dies. And Alan, within a year, marries his second wife, Louisa Patterson. Moves on right and quick. Okay. Yeah. But um, as it turned out as well, Alan was just spreading a sausage all over Richmond. Like he had a bunch of like illegitimate kids. Edgar Allan Poe just really wasn't about it. And so he was just very angry with his foster dad about this. Generally, it's this that kind of um, sort of ended 
their relationship effectively. He ends up leaving for New York in 1831 and releases a third volume of poems. Can you can you guess what he titled the book of poems? More poetry by a Bostonian. Poems. He just named it poems. <laughs> I, you see, I love the fact that it's poems because if he was really good with the wordplay, he'd put a little hyphen between po and m and just turn it into a joke. But he he clearly missed a trick there. It's like he he um because yeah, like I think Edgar Allan Poe he's writing under like these variation of names. So he's like the Bostonian Henry something was another one. And he's just kind of, instead of using his own name, which, as we know, is a cool as fuck name. I don't, I don't know what anybody's talking about. It's a great name. I actually have one of his poems here from around that time oh. called A Dream Within a Dream, mm-hmm. or at least a part of it anyway. Okay, go on. Um, so it goes, take this kiss upon the brow, and in parting from you now, thus much let me avow. You're not wrong, who deem that my days have been a dream. Yet if hope have flown away in a night or in a day, in a vision or in none, or is it therefore the less gone? Or is it that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream? So kind of sweet, but it's got a lot of the typical stuff that you would recognize in poetry is kind of... Wish? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're, you're uh, crushing in your, your early 20s, you're not going to write the best poetry. You're so close to breaking Kitty right now, you don't even realize. <laughs> Depress. You've got this. It's okay. Have I? Have I? Back to no. it. Oh, no, actually. So we had uh, a, a a conversation last week, I believe. Maybe more time has passed. I don't know. And I was talking about Edgar Allan Poe. And then I sent you... Uh, my favorite Halloween costume I've ever seen on a human, which I was so shocked you hadn't seen it. Because it's not. <laughs> it has lived on the internet a long time, but clearly I'm in different circles than you. And it's <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe, and it's basically this dude in a proper Edgar Allan Poe outfit, except he's wearing booty shorts and fishnets. Never more written on the butt. <laughs> <laughs> Always less, but never more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, we need to get through Poe's stupid life, right? (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, Oh, we're getting to the even more sordid part. So he was kicked out of um, Richmond. Military school, West Point. Military school. And his dad remarried. And things were just shit. And so he ended up going to Baltimore. Why did I say yeah, it? Yeah, it like did that? say Baltimore. It was. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether or not to correct you in that one. I You're just like, kinda, what was that about? Was that an why accent are you, thing that why I, are you pronouncing it weird? <laughs> is it insensitive of me to point that one out? <laughs> Back to the sad and sordid life of Edgar Allan Poe. Speaking of. <laughs> so, speaking of, um, so he's in Baltimore and he's living with a bunch of relatives. He's effectively couch surfing, you know, like the equivalent 1800s that. 19th century couch surfing. So you have him staying with his aunt, Maria Clem, and her daughter, his cousin, Virginia. Ooh, I've heard Just of it. that. Mm. <laughs> so Poe ends up living in Baltimore for about four years, and he is moving between writing poetry 
to short stories. And one particular publication takes interest in them, the Southern Literary Messenger, and it's based in Richmond, Virginia. And it's here where Poe publishes Metzengerstein, uh, which is, apparently, his first horror story. Okay. Mm-hmm. Followed by Bernice. You've heard of Bernice. I have experienced bits and pieces of Bernice, but I've never sat down to fully read it. Because so I know that Edgar Allan Poe approached all of his short stories in the exact same way, which is you need to be able to read it all in one sitting mm-hmm. and everything has to have a purpose. There has to be a, a, every single word has to be measured and teamed and driven to a certain agenda. He's not one for fluff at all. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of like Hemingway, who's just like, no, the less words, the better. As opposed to James Joyce. Yeah. <laughs> Who says words are not even words. You don't even know. I, I don't even. Uh, I looked at the cover of Ulysses and got tired. I was like, no. <laughs> like, fuck this. No. So if I want to listen to the rantings of a drunken Irishman, I have plenty of places to go. <laughs> like, I, the, I can just walk half a mile up the road. I am it's good to go. Really not a challenge for me. So. <laughs> He writes Bernice, right? And Bernice is so terrifying, so horrific, so graphic for the time. The Southern Literary Messenger receives a fuck ton of complaints from readers. And they get so many complaints, the editor offers Poe a job on the staff. (laughs) Ah, yes. People are angry. People are engaging with your content. Um, stay, please. <laughs> and so, reviews are still reads. <laughs> reviews are still reads. So he's he's interesting because at this point, Poe is one of the few writers who's just trying to make a living as a writer. Like that's it, as opposed to having a second job in this or it being a main job and him having the writing on the side, which is very common. And he's he's not a great time. Because you've got, like, the Great Panic happens, and then you also have the fact that uh, copyright is kind of funny because international copyright wasn't really, like, established. So people were taking British stories and just republishing them in America and be like, I wrote this, give me money. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so he was, he was struggling a wee bit. And so he's there, and he's working at The Messenger, and... The guy who hired him, they're sort of rubbing against each other a bit. Things aren't things aren't great. The story goes, it's about Poe's drinking, but again, uh, this is all like made up. So the whole thing about him being an alcoholic is basically put out by this dick who hated him. Right? He was just like, I hate Eddie Garland Poe. He was an alcoholic. The man could handle one drink. He was a lightweight. Was his issue, so he couldn't really drink more than his one glass of shower wine. Ah, his bath baileys and his shower wine. <laughs> We're painting a very particular picture. <laughs> a very particular picture that involves water and alcohol, which I feel is... <laughs> bodies of water and alcohol, which I feel is something we shouldn't, like, really mix. Ah, yes, they're going boating. <laughs> <laughs> boating with Ap- Aperol Spritz. And, uh, yeah. Poe ends up inviting his aunt and cousin, Maria, in Virginia to live with him in Richmond. And 
it's a year later that he basically gets the legal document for them to be married. Whether or not they were actually married at this point, we don't know because we okay. don't have the documentation. We know he obtained the license, but we don't know if they were actually married at the time because he's 27 and she was 13. Yourselves. Yep, 13. 13. Now, Although I did hear on the paperwork, she wrote down that she was 21 at the time in order to try and smooth that through because even though that kind of age was a little bit more acceptable, it was still seen as a bit of a scandal at that point as well. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because there's there's no guarantee that it happened at that time, but it is agreed that they got married at some point. So because there's such like a massive age gap and because of her age, more so than his, it's it's there's questions about the relationship. So um because Paul would refer to Maria is muddy, which you know, like, like, uh, so like, like a like mum muddy, you know, like a mother term, and Virginia was known as sissy, like sister. So whether this was him marrying her to, I don't want to justify the marrying of children, but like this could have been some sort of well, if I married her and if I make money, then you know they're supported and sure, whatnot, it's a, a smokescreen for something well equally as scandalous and probably more scandalous so they've taken maybe the lesser of the two options yeah so we don't really know what happened because i mean we don't know what happened behind closed doors we don't know what they were like there's no diaries Mm. to work from but it seemed that these two women well this girl and this woman in poe's life that grounded him and he was having less issues you know because of their existence sure and he seems to be like just a better dude. So he's more responsible. He's not gambling. And he's generally like happier like during the years where he's with them. So he's at the messenger and he wants to write other things, right? He wants to write other types of stories, other types of other than sort of this dark horror. But people are only interested in him for his horror, for his darkness. And so they're like, no, keep doing it. And eventually he ends up leaving the messenger in 1838. So, and this is where he's really getting popular. So he writes The Telltale Heart, The Mask of the Red Death, The Black Cat, The Pit and the Pendulum, The Gold Bug, The Fall of the House of Usher, uh, The Murders in the Rue Morgue, so on and so forth. What's actually really interesting about Murder in the Rue Morgue is that the character in it, the uh, August Dupin, 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 that character is who Arthur Conan Doyle based Sherlock off of. Ah. Uh-huh. Because it's murder in the, the murders in the room mark is seen as the first modern detective story. Mm. Which again, is it varies from his typical sort of, oh, spooky, spooky stuff. Please don't typecast me. <laughs> so yeah, um, basically Dupin is this eccentric genius. He solves wild and mysterious crimes. And Conan Doyle's like, that sounds interesting. But like, 
if you actually read most of Poe's stuff, most of the stuff he writes is actually, well, it, it would be comedy for the era. Eh, not as funny now, but in the time it would have been seen as a comedy. Mm. Like, as opposed to like horrors and all that shiz, you know? A, a parody in, in a lot of ways. There would have been a lot of references to modern characters and it would have been easy to see modern people being mm-hmm. referenced in the stories and their names are being protected teams or protect yeah. the innocent yes and um he, he does all this stuff he's like he's writing horror he's writing detective stuff he's writing comedy he's writing science fiction like he is just in prime time doing great he's writing in all these genres but again it's horror that's really pushing him to the to the front right because he's doing deep psychological horror not just woo, you know it's it's not your hack and slash that being said i do enjoy the graphic novel hack and slash <laughs> it's a, such a fantastic story um you actually sent a copy to me i remember the first I issue did. i was like you need to read this <laughs> this is i must insist um but with a lot of post stuff just from growing up and reading those stories as a kid, it was different from the typical kind of horror stuff that I was even used to at that time because it was it was a lot more psychological and it dealt a lot with the idea of death and resurrection mm-hmm. and returning from the grave and messages from beyond and this kind of cycle that the end isn't really the end, which horror at that time didn't really deal with but he started to bring it in and you can Mm -hmm. see those ripples in other horror stories further down the line. And I do think that he even had influences in the likes of Lovecraft and Mm -hmm. um, even right down to today with Stephen King's work and Anne Rice's stuff. The idea that death is just a doorway and it's actually a two-way door. (laughs) That, that was very much pose, pose modus opera. And, and, you know, um, He's also like Scooby-Doo, right? And mm. I have a reason for this. <laughs> and Edgar Allan Poe is like Scooby-Doo. him in his little choker and, and, and his big pumpkin head. Little foppy uh, outfit running behind him now. <laughs> so like, because the real monster, the real evil, is people, not mm. the ghosts and ghouls. So it's like the capacity of evil, like within a person, like that was his whole, like, thing. And he was one of like the first people to really sort of delve into that. And then, of course, we have Poe's most famous piece of work published in 1845, The Raven. A particular favourite. Yeah, I have, I have so much. It was actually one of the episodes, it was one of the first episodes that I wanted to share because it's... It's so iconic to horror in general. And it's something I, even as a child again, it wasn't something I knew until the Simpsons episode. Do you remember the Simpsons? I remember that, the Treehouse of Horror. And they did such, and honestly, it's probably one of the best interpretations of Mm -hmm. that story that brought it to life for a whole generation. I honestly Mm -hmm. think that it was a watershed moment for for horror in general, for modern day, Mm -hmm. a lot of, kids would have seen that and been like what what is this story and mm-hmm. although it's done in a comedic fashion with mm-hmm. the raven having um Bart's face and teasing him from mm-hmm. the you know the top but um yeah 
And how how can anybody not recognize whenever you hear "Once Upon a Midnight Dreary"? It it's such an iconic line that I, even songs you can hear people quoting that in songs, and it brings to mind everything about it. And the best thing about it is that so much of it's in his own imagination as well. It's not that the Raven is this literal embodiment there to haunt him. It's possible that the fellas just lost his mind in his grief. And Poe's very good at creating an, an unreliable narrator mm-hmm. from things like the cask, and, you know, the fall of the House of Usher, all of that kind of stuff. You read it and you can come away with it and go, well, there's still a perfectly rational unreasonable explanation as to why all of this happened the person who's telling us the story just isn't right in the head <laughs> yeah so yeah. I love those you're like eh, it's not great it's not great but yeah. uh I, it's it's I used to have this sidebar I used to have this hardback copy of the fall of the house of usher and other stories and then between me moving houses like 12 times uh disappeared into the ether and I was like man I really need to rebuild like my classics collection says me looking at my bookcase which is actually too full of books but have you got the double layers or triple layers yet well see I some some in some of them the books are so big it doesn't I can't do the layers (laughs) and then I also have the top so there are books it's there's three shelves in my bookcase Three shelves are filled. The bottom shelf is doubled. Um, and then on top of the bookcase, I have more books. And then a bookend that I made. I have bookends holding up more books on top of my chest of drawers. And then my bedside table has uh, a cabinet that's got books on the shelf and then underneath it and then on top of it. So, I mean, I have some books. You have a few books. <laughs> and, and there's more in the loft. I love that. And in my ex's house, which he's storing for me. <laughs> <laughs> because the whenever I was growing up, my parents were very much like, here's a book, go away, please leave us alone. Here's more horror stories. And Pose, there was a, I might have even been the same collection, and it wouldn't have been much bigger than my fist. And it had five stories in it. It had, see if I can remember, it had The Gold Bug, mm-hmm. it had Telltale Heart, mm-hmm. um, Fall of the House of Usher. Mm-hmm. Um, the cask of I always get the pronunciation wrong Amontillado the cask of that I felt like it's walled up um, which is still iconic because Batman did it once but that's another story um, and what was the final one that might have been it but whenever you're 9 or 10 and you're under bed sheets and you're reading about somebody who's been lured into the subterranean layers and just casually getting drunker and more drunker and then put in the little alcove mm-hmm. and then suddenly chained up and bricked and they won't be able to escape it leaves you with ripples <laughs> of fear um yeah <laughs> ripples of fear ripples of fear it's a new kind of ice cream actually coming out this christmas mm, delicious ripples, <laughs> ripples of, of fear, fear. halloween ice cream <laughs> tastes like pumpkin and uh <laughs> so pumpkin spice uh so pumpkin spice and vanilla <laughs> mm, so the raven basically just shoots his career up because 
Um, he's already known in literary circles. He's kind of known as, you know, the spooky dude. But the Raven makes him a household name. And he only makes about $15 at the time. Um, but because it's so popular, because everyone just gets obsessed over this, it has international success. And he ends up with all these like opportunities and uh, ends up taking on these clients and giving lectures and doing um and doing like readings and whatnot, reciting his poem. He's like, he's making bank. Like things are going really, really well for him. And yeah, he ends up being like one of the first like writers and I think maybe the first American writer to completely live off like writing. To like completely do that. Um, which is which is interesting because like again, for most of his like life. He struggled financially, even though he, you know, could very well have access to fuck you money. Mm-hmm. But at that point, was his father still around or the stepfather? Let me let me check. Have you seen his reference? I don't. Because know. I know that their relationship was very patchy anyway. From what I remember, even though the stepmother had said, you two need to get along. And the stepfather said, okay, we'll give it another try and I'll help sponsor you into Richmond and go into military school. But then during military school, he went, no, changing my mind. I'm done. You just, I'm absolutely done with you, Edgar. And um, I know that he turned up at one point then when he heard that his father was, or stepfather was going to die. <laughs> and uh, as he approached the deathbed, stepfather got a cane and started waving it at him and threatening him with violence if he came any closer yeah i think he basically i think the the dad the foster dad died in i think 1833 let me double check 1834 1834 and i think the last time they spoke was like 1833 i think is how it went down um, but yeah, it it's basically for even up until even up until the eighteen thirties. For a lot of that, Edgar Allan Poe would still sort of dabble in getting assistance, like financial assistance from from his like dad. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, he was like, no, no, because like he went through this whole thing where he would just like, either give him loads of money or give him nothing. Like it was very like hot and cold. While Poe is getting all this success and all of this sort of, you know, adoration and money, you know, his wife, Virginia, well, she has tuberculosis. And she's sick for a good number of years and she dies in 1847. And at this point, the couple are living in New York. And Virginia is 24 at this point. So they've been married 11 years. And she's died of tuberculosis. And this fucking shatters Poe. Like, he is just... he He's broken, you know. And he never really recovers from her death. Like, not emotionally. He relied on her for basically bearing the mental load. For being his emotional support wife, you know. <laughs> and grounding him. So... They were living in New York, they were doing this, and then she dies. And so he does 
his automatic thing, which is move back to Richmond. And he moves back there. And who just so happens to be, you know, a very wealthy widow. But Sarah Elmira Royster Shelton. The very girl, woman, I should say, who promised to marry him after graduation, but ended up marrying this, you know, very, very well-renowned society fellow with lots of money and business acumen, who is now also dead, so. So, her kids, who are now adults, (laughs) they, they freak out because... They get engaged and they're like, fuck this for Game of Soldiers. What is this? No, don't do this. And they're engaged and Paul, he is like determined he's going to move back to Richmond. Okay, so he's going back to New York to bring Maria, his mother-in-law, his auntie, back to Richmond with him. So he's going to take care of her. And he also had to go see a client in Philadelphia. And Paul's last day in Richmond was September 26, 1849. And he's not doing great, like, medically. He's just getting over cholera, because of course he is. And he's he's not doing great, and he tries to get him to go to a doctor. And he does, because one of his friends is a doctor. But instead of getting any kind of medical treatment, they just hang out. So it's more like just meeting his buddy. He has this meeting, he goes to Sadler's restaurant, has a meal. And at 4 a.m., September 27th, 1849, he gets on a ship that's headed for Baltimore. Between this and October 3rd, there is no information. We don't know where he was, what he was doing, none of that. So yeah, he was supposed to be going to Philadelphia to edit a poetry collection. He basically has an itinerary. He's going to go to Philadelphia. He's going to do this job. He's going to go to New York. He's going to get Maria. He's going to bring her back to Richmond. But then nobody sees him for a full bloody week. And then on October 3rd, he is found in the gutter, right? So he's lying there um, by uh, by gunners and he is wearing someone else's clothes. They were cheap. He didn't wear cheap clothes. He wore expensive clothes, but they lasted him. So he's wearing cheap clothes, they don't fit him, and they are completely different to what he normally wears. And he's in this, um, he's sort of dishevelled, he's disorientated, and it's almost as if he's in disguise. Like, he's dressed in someone else's clothes in the gutter, like. And he takes, and he, so he's discovered, and they take him to this hospital ward. But this particular hospital ward is usually where they take, um, people who are hammered so it's like the junk tank right um and the only doctor who sees him is, is like why is he here he's clearly not drunk like he's delirious he's kind of babbling and might be like hallucinating he's kind of talking incoherently um but he never really gets it together enough to explain where he was or what happened because he's slipping in and out of consciousness. Like, he doesn't have any way to explain that this business trip somehow turned into him donning someone else's clothes and 
lying in I mean, the street. I mean, we've all had a trip where we've ended up in someone else's clothes, but generally we can remember why within a day or two. He seems to have been, from what I remember, whenever he was found, it didn't look like he'd been attacked. Um, he was slurring his words and... So the sources kind of differ a little bit, but apparently he had an aversion to water at that time as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different theories as to what had happened to him. Um, and I, I just remember that it, it became almost a mystery of his own writing. It, it would have been something from his own novels, the way mm. that he'd been found and the whole situation that he was discovered in would have been something perfect for his stories. Yeah, so his official cause of death ends up being phrenitis um because he dies on october 7th and it's phrenitis congestion of the brain which is basically what they would label death certificates if someone was died of alcohol abuse or a drug overdose or um just kind of or stuff they could not explain so again there's theories one is he drank himself to death, um, but he's generally sober because it's this dick who has it out for him who just decides to tell everyone that Poe is, you know, a big drunkard. Um, but he's such a lightweight. So he'd gone out and had a glass of wine, as far as anyone knows, and that was the last thing he had. And any forensic tests they've done find it like unlikely that he was drinking like during this time yeah another theory is that he's robbed but there is one um theory that he there's one account in air quotes um that he that he met some friends in baltimore and after his like single drink his little glass of wine he is just somehow absolutely sloshed is wandering around insults a woman and her lady friends beat the crap out of him and rob him <laughs> now I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying, one, he wasn't beaten. And two, um, why would they change his clothes? Like, that's a very, very respectful mugging. If the person who, like, steals your shit, then dresses you in something else. Like, oh, no. So There is another theory that I came across, which was because of the aversion to water. Mm -hmm. There was a fear that it was something to do with rabies. And apparently within a couple of days of him dying, they went to visit um, his home and his cat had died at the same time. So they believe that it's entirely possible that his cat had contracted rabies and infected him before he went on his this trip. Is my, this is my favorite one. This is my favorite <laughs> one. Okay, so here's the thing. So quickly, elections, then we'll get to rabies because rabies is my favorite mm. and it's the one that I think is correct. <laughs> so basically... Um, they think it could have been cooping. The reason his clothes were changed was that in order to get an, an official election, because there was an election going on at this time, is they would take someone, they would get them drunk, and they would make them go to polling stations in different clothes so they could vote and re-vote and re-vote. And he's a lightweight, so that would explain why his clothes were changed. So that's that theory. And It, it, it reminds me of that Simpsons, again, Simpsons episode, where Homer wants the free samples and he keeps walking away and coming back in different clothing in order to get another free sausage at the supermarket. Yes. Like, Hello. No, you've never met me before. <laughs> so they were doing that with voting. That was quite 
prolific at the time. And I think that they checked the records and there was voting happening at that time. And it had to clearly have been a problem because they had to introduce laws in order to say that this is a problem. And they published articles to say that anybody who was caught doing this would be going to jail. Mm -hmm. And there was an election at the time. So it's definitely one of the theories that hold a little bit of water. Excuse me. (laughs) So, yes. So basically, um, this doctor started, uh, not that long ago, maybe a decade ago, started sharing this information about this patient and their symptoms and what they thought it was. And so people are looking at it going, well, it's not this, it's not this, not this. It actually see, seems to have, uh, this patient seems to have died of a mysterious disease, which has all of the hallmarks of rabies. Um, so he has, the the patient, as they said, saw, had viral encephalitis, which is rabies, um, which attacks the brain and the central nervous system. And so there's fluctuations in pulse, there's perspiration, delirium, coma, and confusion you get a little bit better and then you relapse. And the clinical sort of course between, you know, infection and death is four days over the course of this. So only twice in recorded history has anyone survived rabies. And the ones who did weren't the same as they were before. Like, that's why you get a rabies shot. Like, like, because once this encephalitis takes effect, you're a goner. It's it's rabies means brain damage effectively, no matter what happens. And no time for ads. No, um, so basically what happens is Have you had your shower wine today yet? <laughs> have you had your shower wine today? Remember day. a cup a day keeps the hair monster away. I, I don't know. It's, I, I'm trying to find a way to link it with doctors, but yeah. Apple mm. kind of cornered that market. Yeah. Hey, bastard. So basically, um, 26 years after Poe dies, right, his grave is moved. He gets exhumed. And this is this is the thing, because everybody decides they're going to go take a poke at the famous writer. And one worker says that when he was moving the body, Poe's brain rattled around in his head. Now, maybe thinking that's a bit weird considering brains are notorious for rotting incredibly quickly. They are the squishy things. So, yeah. Yeah, so... Not known for rattling. A doctor did say that there were lesions on Poe's brain, which is one of the reasons why he was such a lightweight. So there's every possibility he had some kind of brain tumour. But, yeah. You know how that one doctor we were talking about earlier, who was, like, the only witness to Poe's, like, deathing the deathening the deathening right should be the name of another one of his books but yes (laughs) so dr john moran right or moran it depends whether he's using the irish pronunciation or not anyway so he keeps changing his story so like at one point he's saying that you know paul never you know was never conscious he never regained consciousness and others he's like oh he was reciting poetry and then he also said that Poe was mentioning Reynolds. Now, he was actually forbidding other visitors from coming in to see Edgar Allan Poe because of his excitable state. Um, now, I'm not saying that he murdered him. I'm just saying he 
just kind of worried people off. Maybe it was a kind of a respect thing. He didn't want people to see him like that. Or whether he thought he was genuinely protecting him. Or maybe he just didn't want people, like, crowding around and making a mess in his hospital, like, weird fans. Right. When Morin the Doctor is telling, like, the story, he's talking about Reynolds, that Poe is repeatedly calling for a person named Reynolds. And nobody else in the world has a fucking clue who this Reynolds person is. I mean, the best guess is Jeremiah Reynolds, who was an explorer who inspired, like, one of Poe's characters in his um, things, but, like, or Henry Reynolds, who was a judge at the time, you know, in the area where the elections were happening. Um, but, but was he actually saying Reynolds? Was his speech slurred? Or was this doctor just making shit up? Because... Clearly he can't tell, you know, a linear story. What would be really helpful in the situation, what would be particularly helpful in the situation would be, I don't know, a death certificate, an autopsy perhaps, anything. There are no records. Nothing survived. Like, no, no autopsy was ever performed on, you know, the famous writer who died in a mysterious death. Um, Nobody thought might want to check that. But uh, yeah. It's a bit of a weird one. Yeah, I from what I remember, I think the most common cause of death at that time was arsenic poisoning. So if you had something in for somebody, you were more likely to just poison their food or drink because it was very hard to trace. Mm-hmm. And the autopsies weren't great at that time for being able to evidence it. So That's if it. anyone had any kind of malicious intent, that would generally have been the method to go about it if it was pre-planned. Yeah, and so, then... Poe had tried to end his life like a year previous by overdosing on laudanum. But like Can can we just point out how emo and gothic it is to try and overdose on laudanum though? <laughs> I know, it's like, mmm. Like, all right, just oh, it's, uh, yeah. It it screams the uh the Mary Shelley, Lord Byron drama, just screaming drama on a drama. Yeah, drama. drama. <laughs> but like, it's so weird though because he has this big head, right? So I keep thinking about the fact that he's a head like a fucking pumpkin, right? So what if there's something in that? Like, what if he just kind of had weird brain stuff going on? Although I, I'm still convinced it's rabies because everything adds up to rabies. From... Yeah, I, I feel like rabies with the cat and the water aversion because water aversion is a very particular kind of symptom mm-hmm. and it would have been at a time when they wouldn't have put much stock into what it was they mm-hmm. wouldn't have immediately connected that with rabies but we can see in hindsight mm-hmm. that that is a very clear and unique symptom of something to do with rabies um the time scales are a little bit tricky you mentioned four days is the typical mm-hmm. kind of time scales but he'd been missing for a week so had he maybe staved it off in some way or did it take longer to show maybe it was something that actually happened while he was away and that it's not connected to the cat but he still managed to pick up rabies yeah so four days is sort of the average time but like he was traveling and he was going by his boat you know i mean this is the 1800s things are not fast you know it's still a relatively slow travel situation so like, there's no record of him getting off the boat. You know what I mean? We just know he went on it because of other people. Hmm. So people might not have necessarily recognised him by face, you know, at the time. 
So he could have been anywhere. He could have just been traveling and seeing what happened, you know? Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. <laughs> Potentially. A raven poisoned him in retaliation <laughs> for besmirching his good name. For the, the slander that it caused. Mm. Um, <laughs> although I did read somewhere that the raven at one point stage would potentially have been called the parrot because he wanted some a, a bird of some sort to be talking it is possible that that might have been part of this comedy routine <laughs> yeah but the idea of calling it the parrot and having a parrot come in through the window completely mm. changes this, the um yeah the aesthetic <laughs> yeah because like ravens ravens talk it's fucking creepy creepy as mm. hell there are some parts any of the videos it just, you know, it seems like it's a cursed thing. Mm, mm. That being said, um, dear ravens, uh, you cool though? Don't peck us to death. Thank you. Uh, well, yeah, we would appreciate it. Birds of a feather, you know. Is, is that a middle finger at me? <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> you arsehole. I love uh, that there was a slight dawning on your face as that kind of crept in and you're like, oh, no. I was no. like, no, because, like, you know, what the problem was is I was trying to think of a way to get plumage into the conversation, right? <laughs> and then you did that, and I was like, absolute You could have gone with, for flock's sake. <laughs> it so ends our story of Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> Are you planning to murder me now? <laughs> um, I'm not going to say that on this podcast, which has... <laughs> <laughs> many thousands followers so probably best not to have that out there in the Folks, world if i have an aversion to water in the next couple of days um <laughs> so firstly i have to find an animal that has rabies and then i have to somehow get that animal to you and then i have to ensure that you get bitten by that animal it's a lot of work all of the monkeys on monkey island which is a small island off the coast of thailand near phuket all of them have rabies for reference. Oh, I'll just get you to an island off the coast of Thailand. Yeah, that's, I'll just make that <laughs> happen. Great. Yeah, you and that one oar you have, go. <laughs> it'll, it'll be a slow ride. I'm going to take the, the steamboat to Thailand and I'll uh, I'll let you know when I get infected. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. To Thailand, to Monkey Island. Oh, Jesus. Guy brush three wood. So what we're going to do now is, well, um, everyone knows they can follow me on my socials. If you are listening to this on day of release, you have one day, one day to vote for me in the Irish Podcast Awards. It's for the listeners' vote and, sorry, it's for the listeners' choice and the link is in the description down below. I am on all of the socials. I am Who Did What Now Pod, except for on X, previously known as Twitter, where I am Who Did What Now PD, because... There weren't enough characters to make pod in my username. And you, my dear friend. I am Paul. Um, I go by Great Kraken on pretty much every single platform. You'll find me trying my hand at everything. Um, and I will try and find a way to entertain you in the meantime. Um, the only ones that Fuck your podcast. Is X. But yes, there is the podcast, which I just started. Uh, it is Kraken's Cabin, which is me reading various stories from whenever I loved climbing under a duvet with a torch and reading horror stories, Edgar Allan Poe being one of them. 
Uh, at the moment, we're actually reading Oscar Wilde's Portrait of Dorian Gray. Um, so if you like chill ASMR stories, I will read them to you. And there's a little bit of a mystery that I'm building around it to explain what's going on in the meantime as to why you're at the cabin. Great. Right. And <laughs> so um, I don't know if you've ever actually listened to my podcast episodes, dear friend, but at the very end, I always do like a little recommendation. So I would like to opt to give that privilege to you. Reading. I would recommend Meddling Kids, which is a, <laughs> the best way to describe it is a fanfic sequel of Scooby-Doo with an actual uh, horror story based oh. into it. So imagine if the Scooby gang had grown up and you're reconnecting with them after 20 years, but it's an actual Lovecraftian story built around it. So I would mm. definitely recommend that as a read, um, as a watch. I think it's very in theme to recommend The Fall of the House of Usher, which has recently been added to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, I have yet to try it. I was holding off to this weekend, but a lot of friends have actually checked it out already and very strongly recommended it. It's it's a fantastic show, so that is definitely worth watching. And uh, listening to, uh, if it wasn't your podcast and voting three times for it in the viewers' reports. So Thank you. All of the things. <laughs> Um, one of my personal favorites is always Welcome to Nightfield. I love the absurdity and horror elements to it, but also Cecil is pretty much an icon to me. I I just anytime I'm having a tough day, just listen to Cecil tell me about his stories that he doesn't remember his childhood <laughs> or his mother and the nightmarish night nursery stories she told him. That always always warms my heart. Sometimes, um, see so when I'm decorating, actually, if I've got lots of decorating to do, like um, painting walls and things like that, mm. that's when I listen to, to Night Vale. Just like, it's just so much, it's some strange reason, it's very soothing, I find. It, yeah, it's the similar fashion. I was actually painting my living room and absolutely binged about 15 episodes of Welcome to Night Vale during mm-hmm. the entire time. It's just, it's one of those shows that I just, it got me through COVID lockdowns. It was something that kept me company throughout so many little things. I've discovered songs through it. I believe they're going on tour now. Um, they might be in Dublin soon. So I will mm. actually speak to you about that at some point. Plans. The plans are for minting. But you're coming to Belfast first for the uh, the markets. I have to. Yeah, I'll make it work. We'll take two pictures this time. <gasps> two pictures. <laughs> And one grainy video <laughs> one grainy in video, front of it. <laughs> two pictures and a very burnt marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> so without further ado, we shall bid you good night. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, my friends. Bye-bye. Ciao. <laughs> <laughs>